verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Amen. Thank you, Sue. Let's uh, pray and give this time in the scripture to the Lord. Father, we continue just to thank you this morning, praise you for your tremendous goodness to us in many ways. We thank you for the scripture that is living and active and double than any two-edged sword, just discerning the hearts, our hearts, Lord, and helping us to grow. And we just ask that you'd speak to us this morning through your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're actually in week 45 of our series on the book of Mark, if you're keeping track. (laughs) And... uh, such a rich book. And if you remember uh, Mark's first verse of the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the book is to emphasize and to demonstrate to us who Jesus is and that ultimately Christ is sufficient in all things for us. Uh, As our brother, Pastor Mike, so beautifully shared from Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ. All the deity of God dwells in him. And it's such a powerful truth that helps us in so many ways. Uh, One of the claims that Jesus makes throughout the gospel is that everything we need, everything we need, can be found in him. No other person in history has made such a claim. Some of us are familiar with the great I am statements of the gospel of john jesus talking about himself now i just want you to listen to a few of them i am the living water i am the bread of life i am the resurrection and the life i am the light of the world i am the gate and the good shepherd i am the way the truth the life i am the true vine and Of course, that great claim that Christ made about himself, speaking to the leadership, the Jewish leadership, he said, before Abraham, I am, which was a declaration of being God himself. And for that, they picked up stones to try to kill him uh, because of these great claims he's making about himself. Jesus is really trying to help us understand that everything we need uh, and long for can be found in him. 
And the sooner we discover that, the better we are. And uh, it's his desire to teach us and to draw us to himself into a relationship with him. Jesus didn't come to found a religion. No, Jesus came to point us to himself and to tell us that through our faith in him, everything we need and the deepest longings of our hearts can be satisfied in relationship with him. And the emphasis here is relationship. This is a living relationship that we have with the living God through the person of Jesus Christ. This is a different language than religion. Jesus is telling us that through him, the bread of life, our deepest hungers can be filled. That through him, the bread of life, our deepest hungers can be filled. Through him, the living water, our deepest thirst can be satisfied. Through him, the light of the world, our spiritual blindness can be lifted. That through him, the good shepherd, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, we can find salvation, internal relationship with God, and direction and purpose in life. You see, religion is a very different language. Religion puts man at the center and God on the periphery. But Christ put himself at the center. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, there are these seven beautiful letters that are there in the book of Revelation. Jesus wrote to this one church, Laodicea. Listen to the picture he gives us about himself now. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him and sit with him and have dinner with him. You see, when you have dinner with somebody, that speaks of intimacy and personal relationship. And he stands at the door of each of our lives, each of our hearts, uh, wanting to be, uh, wanting us to open up the door that we may have a deep, abiding relationship with him. In our text this morning, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. We have a blind beggar, Bartimaeus, who in his inadequacy and weakness yells out to Jesus. And the beauty of the passage is that Jesus not only provides healing and new life for this blind beggar, but through this amazing miracle teaches us something demonstrates to us something that he is able to fulfill every promise that he has ever made and more. In many ways, Bartimaeus is like all of us who are spiritually blind, all of us, in need of God's mercy, all of us. The blind man teaches that all of us need to cry out for mercy and forgiveness, healing, Christ's sufficiency. He teaches us through Jesus. We can put on be put on a new road with a new purpose, a new way of life. All that's discovered in Christ. In this text, I just want us to to really discover two very, very basic truths. We all need them. The first is this. We all are insufficient in some way, inadequate in some way, every one of us weak, in need of God's fullness in our lives. Bartimaeus really becomes a picture 
for all of us of a man who understood his inadequacy and knew where to go with it. He went to Jesus. That's the first truth, that we are deeply weak and inadequate. The second truth is God's mercy. He cries out, Lord, have mercy on me, and God provides it. And really, the text points us to the sufficiency of Christ, that he is able to do more than we can possibly ask or imagine. To heal a blind man of his blindness speaks of tremendous power. He's able to touch the deepest longings of our hearts and transform us to be the kind of people God wants us to be and has created us to be. You see, God's created us to be in relationship with himself and to have the fullness of God in our lives. And all of that is discovered in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at this first truth, the inadequacy of who we are. And we often regularly remind ourselves of this as a church because it's true. The word of God tells us about the condition of man and the condition of man is insufficient, inadequate. There's a doctrine theologically that's called the total depravity of man, the total depravity of man. It basically states that outside of Christ, we are sinners inadequate, apart from God, incapable of remedying the situation ourselves. There's nothing you or I can do to bridge that gap between ourselves and God. That's what religion promises and fails every single time. Religion says that if somehow I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and and abide by some group of laws or rules that somehow I can make my way towards God. Not so. Not so. One Puritan theologian, John Engel, James, describes the condition of man's heart this way. The essence of man's sin, the sum of his moral depravity, is to love himself supremely, to seek himself finally, and to make oneself in one shape or another, the center of the universe. To put ourselves at the center in God, the periphery is to live a life of depravity. God doesn't want to stand on the outside looking in. He doesn't want to stand on the outside of our lives at the door knocking with no answer. He stands at the door and knocks and is waiting for us to invite him in that he may fill us completely and meet every single aspect of our weakness and inadequacy. Talking about depravity of man, Ephesians chapter 4 describes us this way before we come to know Christ. Futile in our minds. The idea there is empty. My uncle used to say I had an empty mind. He was a terribly sarcastic man. Uh, He had a a number of sarcastic, demeaning comments he used to make, but he said, you're empty-minded. Well, he was true theologically, although as an eight-year-old guy, I didn't need to hear that. He used to tell me I was also like a fistful of BBs. It took me a long time to to say that I just didn't have all my uh, things in order there. Uh, But there are truths, right? We, We see every day in our struggle with sin, that there's a futility, thank you, got that, 
futility and emptiness in our minds. Ephesians 4 continues, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God, callous to the things of God, greedy to practice impurity. And, and there's many more qualities there in Ephesians 4 that speaks about how deeply darkened our lives are without the Lord. You see, man's remedy to this problem is to either turn to religion or to self-help. Some kind of self-help regimen. Both teach us that by being good enough or developing some kind of practice that I can bridge that gap, that, that deep feeling of inadequacy, insecurity that I have in myself, make myself good enough that I can live up to some kind of acceptable standard But you see, both remedies leaves Jesus on the outside looking in, not at the center. This is where Bartimaeus, in our passage this morning, teaches us something. Here we have a man who deeply understood his inadequacy, begging for a living. Understanding that without Christ, there is no hope for the future. And we see him crying out when he hears Jesus is coming. Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. So simple. Such a simple prayer, isn't it? Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David. And when he said son of David, by the way, that was like a little bit of a dig to the Jewish leaders of that time because to say the son of David meant that he was acknowledging Jesus as the Messiah of Israel because prophetically, Messiah would come through the line of David. And so to give him that title which is rare for anyone to cry out in the New Testament because that was putting yourself at risk with the leadership of that time. Son of David, have mercy on me. Let's just stop for a minute and ask this question. What was the life like for a man like Bartimaeus? This life of a blind man, a beggar. Well, Let's stop for a minute and think. There are so many things that we take for granted every day that we can do easily on our own. Most of us can walk or drive where we want. We can prepare food fairly quickly. We can do a number of menial functions like simple repairs, our toiletries, clean up after our mess. So many other things that for a blind person or someone with a severe disability or handicap become very tedious and difficult. A blind man is reminded every day of his inadequacy and knows deeply that he falls short in one crucial area, and that's the ability to see and manage his life without some kind of help from the outside. You know, in America, we have programs for the handicapped to find careers and participate in the workplace. But in the ancient world and many places in the developing world, it's just not that way. In the ancient developing world, a blind man was often reduced to begging for a living. And I've met many, many beggars when we lived in India for those years as a missionary. Begging for a living because there's no other option for them many occasions. Bartimaeus and many who are blind or handicapped would have to make their way to a well-trafficked area of a city so that 
Whoever would pass by would have mercy on them and give them some money so they could eat and and live. It's heart-wrenching to see. They're profoundly aware that they're dependent on others. And you see, that creates that awareness of a deep sense of inadequacy and leads to one essential quality that we all need, and that's humility. Humility. We all need it. You know what Scripture teaches? God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. What is this quality of humility? I was trying to think of a definition to help us here this morning. Well, one way to look at humility is a person who's humble is very keenly aware of truth and reality. Truth and reality. You see, truth and reality says that without God, our lives are meaningless. Without God, we're insufficient. Without God, uh, our lives are without real direction and purpose. Uh, The opposite of that would be pride and somehow to discover those things that are only to be found in God himself through our own efforts, putting ourselves at the center. That is what pride is, that somehow I'm sufficient on myself and God is on the outside looking in. In our text, Barmaeus teaches us about this beautiful, essential quality in our need for a relationship with God, humility. A blind person or any person who's severely handicapped is often deeply humbled and appreciative of things in life that we so often take for granted. And so when Jesus was passing by on the road to Jericho and Bartimaeus heard about it, we see him crying out in Mark 10, 47, 48. Even in the face, by the way, of those who were rebuking him, we're going to talk about that in a minute, He hears about Jesus. He heard about his reputation, his ability to heal. And he cries out, the text tells us, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They begin to rebuke him. He yells out, the text tells us, even more and louder. No way is man going to hinder me from discovering the grace of God. You see, he was a man who was willing to bring God at the center of his life. And that leads us to the second truth this morning, the mercy of God, the mercy of God, the, and the adequacy of who Jesus is. And there's three qualities I just want us to, to find in this text this morning. The first is mercy. That comes out very clearly. The second is Jesus' willingness to listen. Jesus was attentive to the cry of this poor beggar. God listens. God listens. We need to be convinced of that. And the final thing that we're going to just see with the few minutes we have here is his power and ability, that Christ is all-sufficient, always, all the time. Colossians says that he's all in all. So let's look at these qualities. The first is God's mercy. Now, let's define mercy here just for a moment. The idea of God's mercy is to extend to us forgiveness, grace, goodness, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we don't deserve it. Now, here's the question. Do any of us deserve it any of the time? 
There's this uh, clever little antidote that's thrown around by various people in the church. You ask them how they're doing, and they say what? They shouldn't say good and fine. (laughs) No, I'm only joking you. Better than I deserve. You've heard that? Maybe we overuse it a little bit, right? But it's true. What we deserve, Scripture says, is hell itself. That, That outside of Christ, Scripture says that each of us has a destination of everlasting punishment because of our sin. That's what we deserve. But see, mercy, mercy overcomes judgment. A beautiful picture is in the Old Testament, which is a picture of Christ. The Ark of the Covenant, within the Ark itself were the laws of God, the Ten Laws, the the, the Ten Commandments. But over the Ark was called the mercy seat that the high priest would go once a year and sprinkle blood on that mercy seat. And really what it was, it was communicating that mercy is greater than the law. The law tells us I can't measure up. The law tells me do not steal, and I discover that somewhere in my life I've cheated or stolen. The law tells me uh, to uh, not covet, and I find covetous thoughts in my heart and my mind. And God's saying through Christ, mercy trumps judgment. That's a great truth, is, not, is that not? Uh, Moses, when he was with God on Mount Sinai, when he was receiving all these instructions, uh, in Exodus 32, he was with God for 40 days. I, I don't know. I've taken some days of fasting and prayer, but 40 days, that's, that's amazing, really. But while he was gone all that time, this is after Israel was delivered from Egypt, from slavery, right? They saw that Moses was taking time, and we read in Exodus 32, because he was delayed, they gathered together, they go to Aaron, and they say to Aaron, let us make gods who shall go before us, because we don't know where this guy Moses is. That's crazy, right? I mean, this is God who just parted the Red Sea so that they can come through and be saved. For this great sin, God tells Moses he's prepared to destroy the entire nation and start from scratch with Moses. Moses shows us a demonstration again of who Christ is because what does he do? He intercedes and mediates on behalf of the nation and cries out to God for what? Mercy. Mercy. And listen to what God says to Moses. This is now in Exodus 34. I, I I love this portion of Scripture. He says, this is God talking about himself now. You know, it's, it's a sermon about himself. That's what I like about this passage. 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, extending steadfast love to thousands, forgiving iniquity, sin, and transgression. Hey, if we can just accept what God is saying about himself, there's great liberty there. Some of us are walking around with great shame and great guilt because we're willing, unwilling to accept what God has already declared about himself. And we see this perfect demonstration of God's mercy through the cross of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood. 
our responsibility as Jesus stands at the door is to what? Open the door. Let him in. And for you who are believers who've done that, it's not just let him in and then forget about it. It's to let him in and sit down with him and have supper with him, to have intimacy, relationship. It's a robust prayer life, a robust life of getting into his word. He's a God of mercy. But there's another quality about God I love in this text. It's his listening heart. He pays attention to us. Look at the text in Mark 10, verse 49 and 51 through 51. Jesus stops. That I love. I, you know, I just stop. When I read that, I stop. Jesus stops. When I pray, Jesus stops. When I cry out, Jesus stops. That's beautiful stuff, my friends. But it continues. Then he calls others to himself. He says, listen, go tell that man and call him to me. They call the man, say to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. Remember this, some of these people were the ones who were just rebuking him for the the craziness that he was just uh, up to. To this, the blind man throws off his cloak, springs up from the road and goes to Jesus. Jesus looks at the man, asks him what you want me to do for you and the blind man asks, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Beautiful, beautiful text of Scripture. Key attribute of God. He knows all. Omniscient. And Psalm 139 tells us he knows our thoughts from afar. He sees when we rise and we sit. Why we need to have that locked in our hearts, the combination of God's omniscience, his attentiveness to us, and his mercy become powerful truths to free us to go to him and trust him no matter what we're going through. You see how key this is to our faith? You see, if we doubt God's goodness, or we doubt that he's inattentive, or we doubt his mercy, then the only thing we can do is languish in self-pity or languish in bitterness, or try to find it somewhere else. And all those things are emptiness and dead-end roads. And there, at that road, Jesus calls out to us, and he stands at the door and says, come, open the door, and I'll come in and sup with you. You see, when we're, we're often tempted, when we don't receive an immediate answer to prayer, we think that God is punishing us. This is the way many think about God but that's not what the Bible teaches. God often inserts time into things to teach us to trust him more and walk by faith. I love what the psalmist says. I waited patiently for the Lord and he listened and heard my cry. The problem is not God. The problem is often us and our lack of patience and trust. God wants us to depend on him and not on the shifting sands of circumstances. You see, circumstances change, right? Some years or weeks or months are good. No problem. Others are so difficult, aren't they? And then some of us have been given something that we have to live with lifelong. Jesus is at every crossroad, every place, 
speaking to us, inviting us, that we may sit with him and sup with him. One final quality about God, and we have to end here, it's so beautiful. You take his mercy and omniscience, his attentiveness to our prayers, and add to that his power. Now we're talking Grand Slam. I know Grand Slam has four, but this is the theological Grand Slam. Three. He's able because he's God. Look at verse 52 of our text. Jesus tells the man, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately the man recovers his sight and begins to follow Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. You know, just a a quick parenthetical remark here. There are times when we see Jesus take mud in his hand and put it on the eyes of the blind and heals them. There are other times Jesus lays hands and heals the blind. And here we don't see any of that. And I believe really what God's word is telling us, it's not about some kind of a magical potion or how it's done or the manner in which it's done. We have to get our minds uh, rid of all that craziness. It's because of who he is, you see. The living Christ, God in the flesh. And when he speaks, it's going to happen. This is the God who sustains all things by the word of his power. Here we find only a demonstration of Christ's sufficiency, but a man who believed it, right? He gets up and begins to walk, and he receives his sight. And the result of the trajectory of this blind man's life went from being beggar to follower of Jesus. Pauper to a man with the riches of heaven itself. There's some here this morning, and I've been in this place, so I'm speaking from experience, who are not experiencing God's presence and joy because of perhaps a lack of faith or unwillingness to follow or maybe you just struggling to accept God for who he really is, God of mercy, God of power, God who listens. Here we see what the Bible teaches. He's able to heal the blind. He's able to change whatever circumstance you face. Faith believes God's promises and follows Jesus no matter where it takes us. Do you understand what I'm telling you? No matter where it takes you, trusting him that he is good. This takes ourselves out of the center and puts God at the center and living a life of dependency and sufficiency on him. It's an invitation to live life dependent on God and Bartimaeus, who was spiritually and physically blind without Christ, demonstrates to us that in him, Jesus, the light of the world, that we receive every single promise when we believe and trust him. You know, when we do that, as if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, when you do that, I want to give you some serious good news today. Serious good news. When you do that, the Bible teaches us that we'll be forgiven of our sin, delivered from blindness, set free to walk on a new path of life. Oh, man, we all need that. And if you've already made that commitment to trust Christ, same thing is true in this sense that 
that God wants to provide more and more and more, and you're never going to outgive him. Jesus is able, able to heal the blind, the deaf, the mute, resurrect the dead, calm the storm, heal the lame, the leopard, the man with the withered hand, the demon-possessed, the list goes on and on. And the Gospels are a, a cacophony, so to speak, of truths to tell us that he is sufficient in all things, all the time, always. Do we believe him for it? You know, many of us know the story of the sinking, right, of the Titanic, because we like that uh, Caprio movie, and remember that? <laughs> the romantic movie. Oh, my God, oh, it's such a beautiful movie. Oh, who cares that, you know, 1,500 people perished in icy waters? It's a love story, Pastor Joe. It made me cry. <laughs> But, you know, at that time, it was the biggest tragedy in history because of the amount of people who perished. And it's a reminder to us of what pride can do to men. Do you know that the Titanic was uniquely designed? It was one of the first ships of its kind because it had a number of these chambers in its hull. I think there were over 15 chambers. And... Uh, they knew that five of them would have had to have been punctured for it to sink, which was an impossibility physically from the architect's point of view of the ship and the owners and the captain, to the point where when they told the captain that there was a seriously, he says, no problem for an hour, he didn't act on the problem. An hour. It wasn't until they grabbed the captain, brought him down in a mail room and showed him how much water was pulling because they could not see that five of the chambers were ruptured, which put the ship in jeopardy. Crazy, isn't it? And because of his delay and because they couldn't reach those ships that were nearby in time, as a result, 1,500 people perished. They could have been rescued. That's part of the story. Captain's pride, the owner's pride, all these people who thought it was an uns- they called it the unsinkable ship. You see, that is what pride is like. Uh, a person who stands and says, you know, in myself, I'm sufficient. But you know what? We're all sinking ships without Christ, every single one of us. Every single one of us is drowning whether we understand it or not. It's only until we invite Christ into our lives, the one who stands at the door and knocks, and invite him in and begin to depend on him, that we discover the sufficiency of who God is and a new trajectory in life. Do you want that this morning? I do. I need it. Thank you. She's one of my favorite uh, congregants here. Thank you. We need to pray, don't we? Because I'll tell you what, every single one of us here, whether you've accepted Christ or not, struggle with this, don't we? And we need to pray earnestly that God would fill us and help us to understand that in every area of our lives, no matter what you're facing, he's sufficient, all sufficient in all things, all the time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful word from God. 
And Lord, we confess as a church this morning our need for you. Like this blind man, Lord, who heard that you were coming and cried out all the more, as text tells us, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, that's the prayer of our hearts. Have mercy on us. Thank you through Christ that the price for sin has already been paid. Done. Last words on the cross. It is finished. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that in Christ we're forgiven and receive your mercy and new life. But Lord, we want more and more. We want to be filled with you to the full measure of who you are. So we ask your spirit to work in our hearts and lives. Help us to humble ourselves where we've been proud. Help us to humble ourselves where we've been self-sufficient. Help us to take ourselves out of the center, Lord, and put you at the center of our lives, that you may be all-sufficient all the time in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.